Hello and welcome to MCU and Chill, Episode 5, a chronological retrospective of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded storytellers who absolutely love our geeky fandoms. As um, the world heads into another new phase of, uh, of the MCU, we thought it would be beneficial to revisit what's come before, and we've spent most of the pandemic, uh, at least over the last seven or eight months, right guys? It seems like it. Yeah. Doing that okay. every, every Thursday night. Um, and what follows will be our takeaways, some insights into the themes of the individual movies and the MCU as a whole, uh, our praises and grievances, what has affected us, and perhaps how that may have changed with time. Um, specifically in this episode, we'll be chatting about Black Widow, Thor Ragnarok, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, I'm Philip Kelly. I am a writer, actor, comedian, always the last person on board with something it seems uh and i'm here with my co-hosts and, and uh, someone that you don't know but let me start with my co-hosts uh we've got justin Pennison here um a really wonderful writer of hunter black comics uh and, and uh sonic prime he's working on uh, that that series as well uh hi justin how are you hey phil i'm well how are you i'm i'm well thank you glad to be here uh that is the got... nicest we have ever been to each other i think so there's a weird vibe going on it sounded wildly insincere but okay uh, moving on. we've got uh claire thorne here she cross stitches some amazing patterns um she is the writer what is the the book that you have out there in the world claire my book out in the world is a geek's guide to cross stitch journeys in space look at that uh yes. wonderful remarkable um yeah really check it out unexpected hobby it's great um we've got co-creators kelly sumilano and lisa k weber who have co-created hex 11 and seem to have like do everything almost in unison and that includes moving um which is wonderful <laughs> hi ladies hi i always wave Hello. like people can see it <laughs> yeah cannot. we can see you that's fine and i do a shoulder shimmy um <laughs> Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I, I broadcast the energy of a shoulder shimmy. So. I, I think it reads. It does read. Mm -hmm. um, and then our plus one today uh, is uh, Nichelle Dudley. Hi, Nichelle. Hey, how is it going? Not bad. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, we started off this series with one of uh, Lisa's roommates, and we're ending it with one of Lisa's roommates. Um, and those two roommates happen to be getting married, which is uh, wonderful. Um, oh. So congratulations there. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We were joking around a little bit about it beforehand uh, that this brought yeah. you together. And I was can't a joke. imagine. <laughs> you mean we're not was responsible it? for this <laughs> blessed event? Listen, yeah, absolutely. Yes. We, 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 we our, our dating app. Yeah, we, we can tell that story. I'm, I'm behind it. I'll support it. All right. That is now, that is now fact. Uh, so what did, um, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, Michelle. What do you, uh, uh, what do you do in the world? Are you, are you big into like geek stuff? Or are you not? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I definitely am. Um, okay. I, you know, big nerd. It's, it's one of the first things that, that Kelly Sue and I connected on, um, mm -hmm. way, way back in the day, uh, when days ago. yeah, she, she started working at, uh, you know, 72 and sunny. So uh, we, we bonded instantly uh, mm -hmm. over nerd stuff. And, uh, you know, when I met Lisa, same thing, nerd stuff, music stuff, 
book stuff. So, um, yeah, big nerd, always have been, all of the things. Um, not a big cross-stitcher, but I will have to check out your book, Claire, because uh, my grandmother was, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm just really curious. Does it have pictures? Because, like, the cross-stitch book without pictures to me is kind of like, oh, I'll buy it to support you, but I'm really good. It's, I'm not going to do anything with it. Let's, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are so many pictures um, and it lays flat. That's the, my like claim to fame. I think with my book is that I've cross-stitched so much out of books that make me angry trying to keep them open while I'm using a pattern. So, you know, I revolutionized that. Wow. Nice. You're Fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. And Nichelle, you, um, you've seen most of the Marvel films, uh, but you were saying that this was your first time through most of this final or the third phase of the MCU, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely started watching them um, when, when they came out, right? At the beginning, yeah. it, was, it was, of course, any, every nerd was like, wait, they're making movies about my favorite comics? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm in. Um, and then they kept doing it, and it's awesome. But then I was like, whoa. That's a lot, man. Uh, so, so, I, so I took a, <laughs> I, I took a bit of a pause uh, starting around Ragnarok, and uh, this is the first time I've watched it through in this chronica- chronological order, and the first time I've seen a few of these movies, probably Ragnarok plus. So. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, well, I, I look forward to hearing <laughs> what uh, what went on in that household while you guys were watching, uh, being first time for some of these. So let's just uh, let's jump in here. Um, we've already some a lot of us have already discussed Black Widow, uh, but I, I'd like to spend a couple minutes discussing it together as a group because I think that would be fun, especially. Um, and, and if you want to hear the ladies here talk about it, Claire, Lisa, and Kelly Sue, check out the fourth episode of MCU and Jill. It's a great listen. Um, but there were some people uh, online who maybe didn't like it as much as the five of us did. I know we all. There were people uh, online that didn't like it. <laughs> shocked. I know, right? Shocked. Shocked. Um, wow. And I'm going to point to uh, like film crit Hulk. I, I don't want to throw him under the, uh, you know, put him in anybody's targets here because he did like the movie or they, I don't know if it's a he or she, they did like the movie um, quite a bit, uh, but they had their grievances with it. Um, they felt the third act lacked cathartic moments that, that could have been far better. Like, uh, like if they'd maybe spent more time with Dracov's character, setting him up in a meaningful way, or given the Red Guarding uh, like a more powerful redeeming moment in the end, especially when dealing with some of the themes they were dealing with. Uh, Natasha's line, I should have come for you, didn't really work for him or them. Uh, I keep saying him because it's the Hulk. And so all I see is the Hulk. Um, because, uh, you know, we never actually saw Natasha make the decision to not go back for her. So there was like this kind of he, they felt like there was this kind of missing element to some of these moments that took away from the third act. Um, but they also think that this is kind of a reoccurring issue throughout the MCU as kind of third act issues. Um, and I'm curious, one, you know, with a few weeks having passed, would all of you kind of think of Black Widow now that some of the excitement has uh, calmed down a little bit? Um, and also how seeing this film within the chronological order of the other films, how that may have affected your viewings of the Avengers films afterwards, uh, especially leading to her ultimate demise. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and Nichelle, having experienced some of these things for the first time, I'm very curious to hear what you thought as well. So uh, who would like to start us off uh, 
addressing some of these issues? Um, I, I, I will, as you were reading about this um, film crit Hulk person, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to not note that it's like the two characters he wished were developed or they wished were developed more were male characters. Um, mm -hmm. And it, and that's not a problem per se. I mean, yeah, Dracoff was like a weak ass villain. I mean, like his characterization was like, <laughs> but um, I mean, that's not, that's not exclusive to this movie in the MCU. We've spent a lot of time talking about lame villains in the MCU. Um, and, you know, I mean, like, as far as like Red Guardian getting a redeeming moment, we kind of talked, the three of us, um, Kelly Sue and Claire and I kind of talked about, we felt his kind of moment of like trying to talk to Natasha and continuing to fail to like, actually like have her in the same room with him was actually good. Like, I didn't think that was a negative. I thought that that was like... I thought that was good because it's not his movie and it's not his arc. Oh, um, it's, and in the end, and we talked about this also in the episode, the Black Widow episode was that um, in the end, he has his opportunity to say something and decides not to, cause he was like, I'll just mess it up anyway. And mm -hmm. it's like that in itself is like a, a self-awareness that that character never had until that moment in the movie. And it's like, I, I appreciate that he got there. I appreciate how he got there. So, I mean, if we're gonna talk about the male characters, it's like, I think that they both served their purpose well in the movie, mm -hmm. but it wasn't their movie. It was Natasha's movie and I right. still love it. Like, I still yeah. think it's like, I still think it's way up there. Mm -hmm. um, it was just so good. And, it, and I mean, it really, like it affected me. Yeah. Like, I just loved it. I completely agree with Lisa. And I actually loved the choice, whether it was a choice or not, to have the Dracov character be so kind of like mustache twirly mm. and just 2D because we get to the red room and we see it, it's this, it was this experience of like going to Oz and seeing the wizard and you're like, oh, this is just a shitty dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like he's not actually powerful he's just like bleh. like you said it was it kind of made the entire thing even more it brought it all home even more for me that she would be the person that she you know strives to go take down like she's so much better than him in every possible way and you still get to see her struggle with like, maybe he's right, or maybe I'm really not all these things, which is like, I mean, can we count forever? How many times as a woman you feel this way when it's like you're in the face of somebody who is like so unbelievably mediocre and you're still like, oh yeah, maybe they're right. You know, it's like mm. to have that experience in an MCU film, it still blows my mind. Well, having a villain who we didn't have to give him a poignant backstory to explain why he's an asshole to women, right? <laughs> like that's not part of the story. That's yeah. this, he's just a dude who's an asshole to women and that's mm -hmm. it. 
period. Um, now I don't give Ronan, um, that kind of no. same kind of pass, uh -oh, but go. I can give, I can give Drake off that same kind of pass because I've experienced that. I haven't baggage. experienced a Ronan. I do have baggage. I have Ronan baggage. I have Tony Stark baggage as much as I, at least I, I like Tony Stark, but in any case, I know, I think they wrote Drake off exactly the way he needed to be written in this movie. It's, it is, he is just simply a guy and mm -hmm. he just simply thinks he can do what he wants to do because he's a guy. And, you know, that's the story for, for most of us. There is no, there's no big thing that's fixable. There's no childhood trauma to take care of for this guy to, you know, mm -hmm. make him okay. And I was perfectly fine. Um, and I'm just kind of reiterating Lisa and Kelly Sue at this point, but I'm perfectly fine with the Red Guardian, her dad, because he does come to the place where I think most women want men who have, have been mm -hmm. kind of benignly clueless about sexism, yeah. their own sexism. We don't, I'm, I'm not looking for those men to, to have a redemption moment two seconds after they realize what they're doing. I don't want them to do that. I want them mm -hmm. to sit and stew in it for a little bit and yeah. not in a bad way, not in a you know, tar and feather you kind of way, but I mm -hmm. want him. And that's the sense I got from him is that he now recognizes the validity of the women in his life mm -hmm. and how he has been clueless to them. He realizes that the words, and it is such a brilliant thing that his, every time he tries to give the big apologetic speech, he, it falls, it just goes into nothing, right? Like yeah. it's you, the big apologetic speech is not what we're looking for. We're looking to see the men in our lives switch up how they're behaving yeah. and put putting focus on the fact that they need to learn shit. So yeah. I feel like that's where he is. That is his redemption moment. That's all it needs oh, yeah. to be for us. Let's the just, brilliant, you know, the brilliant trying and failing and still just being like, wow, I'm, I'm bad at this, but yeah, I'm going to stick around. But, but at the same <laughs> yeah. At the same time, recognizing that he's a complete, he's been a complete boob just totally. <laughs> up Complete. until that moment Another. and yeah and you can you can love him because you know that he's going to be listening from that mm -hmm. point forward and that's yeah. fine that that I was also... a fun that was a pun by the way i just want to make sure you guys know that boob and utter <laughs> yeah i got you. nothing i got nothing it's, sorry yeah. continue claire sorry and i also just to go to the next point in the criticism about how natasha's final line about not i should have come for you i don't understand that can that discussion because it, from the very beginning in the movie the whole point is that she has been disconnected from her sister for and and built this other family and that she's now coming back to her and kind of making up for uh getting herself out in a very you know uh necessary selfish act but now she's got to come back for her sister um, I set up right from the very beginning. So that line absolutely hundred percent works for me. I don't, I don't quite understand that, but in any case. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think film crit Hulk, maybe, maybe they just didn't love the movie, you know, um, because the stuff that you're telling us that they said just doesn't fly to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Drakoff is not the villain of the movie. Drakoff is not something that, Natasha has to overcome. Drakoff is just a symptom. Do you know what I'm saying? That's just, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it, it's literally the twirling mustache on the face of the fact that Natasha has unfinished business. That Natasha has things that she left undone, that she has her own failures to make up for, you know? And when Drakov gets to beat her up, you know, that's literally her, you know, it, it's on the screen that there's an atonement for what she perceives as her sins in that moment. And also a revelation that she's tough enough to stand underneath it. You know what I mean? That that she can face her own, you know, her own mishaps, her own failure to stop this bug earlier, you know? Um, like calling Drakov the villain of the movie is giving Drakov way too much credit, way more credit than he deserves. Um, and I think and I think it's ultimately missing the point, you know. Um, you know, and I'm I, I'm deliberately sort of skirting you know, issues of sex and gender here just because I think Lisa and Kelly Sue and Claire have already said those things better than I ever could, you know. You're skirting them? Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you guys said about Red Guardian. I mean, him having a redeeming moment, A, wasn't the point, and B, I think he built up to that sort of. We got to hear all the things he felt like he needed to say, and we also made the point, it makes the point that him saying those things isn't going to fix the problem, you know? And that's why he's always saying them to the wrong person or <laughs> to no one at all. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't like the movie, that's cool. You know, you don't have to like the movie, <laughs> but you know, this feels like making up reasons, you know what I sure. mean? Or, sure. or at least showing a lacking of a deeper understanding of it. Uh, no Nichelle, shade you're... on film crit Hulk. No, no. But no. maybe we should hear from film crit She-Hulk. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nichelle, what were you about to say there? Uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I definitely think that agree. Drakov should not be the villain. Like, like he's really just bankrolling this like scientific experiment on, you know, young girls to turn them into weapons, which he then just does to his own daughter. Um, you know, and so I think it's it's just like to give him that much credit is like he's not even doing the work. All he's doing is bankrolling it. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> um, and so Melina was doing all the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and you know, with the with the Red Guardian thing, it's it's. I think I think his redeeming moment was his realization that he was like, oh. I fucked up. <laughs> I need to fix it, right? And I think that it leaves uh, the MCU open. Like, hey, let's make a Red Guardian separate, you know, arc because, like, you know, it wasn't his movie. Like, he he played a role, but like, he it's it's not about him, right? And that that's the whole point is that he didn't need to have a redeeming moment because it's not about him. And and I think that a lot of times we, especially when it comes to movies that are focused on the main female character, we try to find these reasons to make it about the male characters. And, you know, we we women, as we all agreed very, very strongly, like, like why, why, why is that even a, a statement you're making? It's not, it's called the Black Widow, not the Red Guardian, not, <laughs> hey, Drakov's a villain. Uh, it's called the Black Widow, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and, and I think that like the, like, like kind of vilifying for lack of a better term, 
Black Widow for saying that I should have come for you and not going back is 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 a bit is a bit harsh, right? Like she was also a kid. She had to survive what, you know, and then she grew up in this world where all she knew was being, you know, hard and a weapon and surviving and having to fight. And and so she wanted to, but like there like it a lot was out of her control. And and I think that kind of vilifying her for for that is is a bit harsh you know uh because we saw there was there was a bunch of other stuff going on previous you know so so um but overall like i i think once the credits hit you know lisa was there i think all three of us were we 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 teared up a bit we were like oh my god what just happened are we like and the the intro song and everything it was just kind of like this magical moment of are they really about to do this really well for a female character finally um and and you know i really like i think they did um and and i think they left it in a place where we can we can get a lot more you know backstory i think it like like because of you know endgame and all the movies and her eventual death i don't think that we have to close that chapter like that part is closed but it was an origin story so we have plenty of chapters that we can you know, sort through for mm-hmm. her. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that that story arc has to be finished. Um, and I'm really excited to see like what they do with it. Multiverse. I would also say if this movie, if it has a, uh, a thing that it left undone or a character that wasn't properly served, I would argue mm-hmm. that's Rachel Weisz's character. Mm-hmm. You know, she yeah. was off screen for so much of the movie. You yeah. know, and, and it's a story device, and I get it, but mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. is the one I would want to hear the most from. You uh, know, film crit, film crit Hulk also had an issue with how they uh, dealt with her character as well. He had mm-hmm. issues with a lot. I, I would, I would say, if you want, like, let's get this guy on the phone. Let's get this guy on the phone. I would say, <laughs> you know, he he go, take a look at their article if you want, because they they go through it a lot uh, more clearly and uh, succinctly than. Well, what and I this is my thing. Before we jump but, um, to the next films that we're talking about, I want to just sort of address this this criticism of the third act of MCU movies mm-hmm. um, and how everybody's always like, it's weak. It's like the weakest link of, of these films or whatever. And I'm sitting here being like, it's never once bothered me because these are all open-ended stories. Like the fact that there's not this perfect catharsis at the end of these films has never bothered me because this isn't the last time we're going to see these characters, you know? And I, I, I actually appreciated that in the Black Widow movie that they weren't sort of encapsulating it knowing, you know, where she ends up, knowing mm-hmm. that like chronologically something else is going to follow this. Well, even know? with, and, even with oh, characters yeah, that ahead, we're, we're not technically going to see like Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, yeah. <laughs> we're still getting their stories because in Spider-Man Far From Home, I'm still grappling with Tony's influence on events because his hand is still there very heavily it is his technology and his um former employees and his you know as crazy as they might be it's still everything leads back to tony in that movie um when we see the uh effect of steve rogers um making the decision that he does at the end of in game 
um, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, his departure from the mm-hmm. lot, well, and WandaVision for that matter, his departure mm-hmm. and the and his choice to no longer be there for Wanda and um, Sam and Bucky, though mm-hmm. it has an impact um, on their on their lives, and you know that none of them would begrudge him being able to go and do what he, you know, have a fulfilling life and, and make the choice that he does. But that doesn't mean that they don't grieve and, and feel a sense of loss and mm-hmm. anger and, and all of those other things that, that you would feel. It's, it's a beautiful story of, of grief for mm-hmm. all of them. And it's going to affect how things happen going forward. Um, I think totally. it's really, really fascinating. I, I was really interested to see how Black Widow watching that story would affect the, you know, the story of her death in Endgame, well, her, her whole arc in that movie. And it was interesting to me that it, I think pulled her a little bit out of just the one note story arc of, you know, here's the Black Widow, her whole purpose in our story is so that she can make up for the bad things that she's done. When so much of the bad things that she did was very similar to Bucky's story, something that was done under a duress where she is to some percentage a victim of what's going on at the time that, you know, she, she is making the decisions to do this, but she's also dealing with the trauma of her, her childhood circumstances. And it watching black widow made me feel a bit more that her decision in Endgame is more rooted in making a decision for herself in the moment and for the people that she loves going forward and less about fixing this ledger that, you know, I just felt like she was more in, in ownership of herself and that she was freed a bit from just this, you know, cycle of negativity about her life. Yeah. yeah, I agree a um, hundred million percent with that. Um, as far That's as not like, enough, Lisa, at least a hundred billion percent, Come <laughs> a on. billion trillion percent, because um, yeah, a- absolutely. Watching Black Widow chronologically before Endgame um, absolutely added so much depth mm-hmm. to what was going on with her, why she was the way she was in Endgame, because we have to assume that, you know, you know, these people aren't there. Elena's not there. And yeah. so we have to assume that she was one of the dusted. Mm-hmm. And so she's, she's, it's this extra level of grief that she's feeling this extra like drive to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think absolutely benefits that storyline in Endgame and makes Endgame even that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it definitely adds to pulling, pulling more at, at the heartstrings about her decision, right? Because like in in the beginning, you're like, cool, she's just you know, a badass and she can sling knives and 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 she wasn't really like a an emotionally impactful character other than being a badass female. Um, and and with this movie, I think I think we got to see a bit of that vulnerability from her and really like take you know, Infinity War and Endgame and, and see that 
through her choices and really her reactions and how she was framing that because um you know you really wanted after seeing black widow you're like but no like you're you're so you're the best don't do this why um and 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 i think that it it definitely just added to my enjoyment of of those last two films i think um i think prior to endgame coming out so before there was a black widow movie you know i think that natasha had been a largely emotionally unfulfilled character like the only real emotional beats they gave her were an age of ultron which felt so off you know what i mean uh, there's a little bit you know she she's given a little bit to, to think about she starts to her armor cracks a little bit in in winter soldier too actually but in endgame her heart is wide open in a way that's never been before you know and i didn't think to ask why because you know people half the universe being gone is traumatizing you know but it also it that reads very real to me because she had had this thing happen in her life where her heart had been allowed to open up and that was you know the rediscovery of her family and you know you know that we have to believe that on some level there have been you know some communication some you know some continuation of that of that new bond or that you know restored bond you know in the time between black widow and infinity war um it rang so true to me because you know when i've experienced certain things in my own life that have opened my heart and made me more emotionally you know open you know um you know death and divorce you know did that for me you know losing my father breaking up with my first wife you know after the after those things happened to me i was much more my heart is worn much more on my sleeve now, you know? And so there's a real richness to the portrayal of Natasha, both through the writing and through the performance in Endgame that is really reinforced and bolstered and made more true because of what we saw in Black Widow. It was a necessary movie. I kind of wish it had come out before Endgame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like like she didn't just lose like you know her her the family that she then reconnected with where she didn't think she had like also her like members of her chosen family that she just didn't have anymore and so it was like lost from everywhere you know with her opening up and just being like what do i have to do you know when, yeah when tony asks you know does she have any family and cap says yeah us and now having seen black widow that rings more powerfully because it, it says to me they don't know that she mm -hmm. she did have family mm -hmm. you know yeah. um which makes me look forward to hawkeye in ways that i didn't before mm -hmm. oh, looking yeah. forward to hawkeye Ooh, that's gonna yeah. be good. now i'm hoping that not only is it yelena but also red guardian coming to confront hawkeye for a brief hot moment because i just need to see red guardian get his <laughs> little his butt handed to him by Hawkeye in just a, a delightfully humorous way. <laughs> totally. Well, and you know, I know we're, we're getting ready to talk about flaws in the MCU, but I want to talk about one more, 
one more success, which is like, um, I walked away from Black Widow and I've watched it multiple times since it came out being like, is Red Guardian like one of my favorite characters in the MCU now? <laughs> this dude has been in our, our lives for like an hour and I'm already like, so when does he get his show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a huge success in this movie as well, that we were presented with brand new characters that already were just like more. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, more. That's huge how I feel success. about Yelena. Yeah. That's how I feel about yeah. it. Oh yeah. God, yeah. And yeah. I would yeah. be, I would be really, I would be a little butthurt if we got something featuring Captain Dadbot before we got something featuring Yelena. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, she's going to no, be in I... Hawkeye. She's going to be in Hawkeye. No, yeah, she's she's gonna, but that's not featured. Like her own yeah, not featured. She's a supporting oh, yeah. character yeah. there. Yeah, oh, I want. Her, I want her to headline something. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, they should co-star. I think that would be a oh really God. great, like you oh know, father daughter co-star. Buddy cop. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and they just keep they just keep having to call home to mom all the time for (laughs) like advice on how to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm there for it. Oh my god, that would be uh, wonderful, amazing. The the only thing I have to add to this before we move on is that I I feel like if the Black Widow film had come out before Infinity War, that moment Mm -hmm. where everybody cheered when Captain America came to the front, I think everybody would have been also cheering for Black Widow. Mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. she's largely as a presence missing from infinity war and and yeah. after seeing this film i i truly felt that watching that movie um you know cap is not given as much attention in that film but he's he's already been given so much attention that when he shows up that's all you need it's, it's cap he's back yeah and Have, his beard and he's gonna beard. say yeah. Yeah. i think people yeah. were cheering for the beard yeah yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely um but seeing i, I think if we had had this film Prior to that, I think they would have given Natasha more to do in Infinity War, um, so, which is why I'm so happy that she had that the film filled in a lot of what I thought was missing about her arc in uh, Endgame, uh, and it made it that like has already been said, made it that much more powerful. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna jump uh, we're actually gonna jump ahead here since we're talking about Endgame, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll swing back around. Uh, because Endgame, it popped up uh, on all of the top of all of our lists. It's like right up there. And I, and I know, Claire, it's second for you, but you count mm-hmm. the two as the same film. Yeah. So it, I, I feel like that's still number one. That's I had legitimate. No... You can speak for me in that regard. Yes. Okay. Well, I think you already said it, which is why <laughs> I, I, I wanted to clarify that uh, for myself. Yeah. Cool. Um, I had no idea. Clarify. <laughs> I've been clarified. Clarify. Jesus Christ. Oh, my You're God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just shaking my head okay go ahead I, no no that's okay we've had three amazing puns so far um that's that's more than we've ever had in one podcast episode uh and i haven't i haven't done any of them that's yeah. true that's true uh lacking there uh, you've mm-hmm. got time uh for me i had no idea where this would end up in this viewing for me on on like stacked up because i love spider-man so much um, but I, I feel like phase four is just like building to this on thematic and emotional levels uh, that really affected me, especially, you know, watching Endgame the first time, all these films are spread out over 10 years. Watching it all compacted like this, I really felt that sort of flow coming into this film from all the different sort of chess pieces being moved around. Uh, minus, of course, in this case, Captain Marvel, which we watched at the beginning. Um, 
Uh, I'm curious as to what all of you thought some of these connective tissues, but uh, tissues, <sighs> is that right? Connective, uh, <laughs> now it sounds weird to me, like we're going to blow our nose in something. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it just sounded so weird to me when I said that. These, uh, these connective you strands. You such a spaz, dude. <laughs> I, I am, for some reason, for some reason I am today. I, I am very spazzy today for some reason. Thank you for noticing. y'all. Yeah, right. Um, these connective strands, I, sh I will say, um, between these last six films uh, and the culmination of like 10 years of filmmaking. What, what did you guys, what did all of you uh, feel connected these films together, I guess, um, thematically? And did you miss Captain Marvel in this sort of section of films, having it be at the front instead of the end? Um, I'm, I'm curious about that as well. I don't know if I miss Captain. I don't really know what to do with Captain Marvel. I love Captain Marvel. I love the character. I, I did enjoy that movie quite a lot. I suffer a bit from the problem of she is just so freaking powerful that, I mean, you I think you feel that in Endgame, especially that she shows up and, and you're like, well, okay, well, where were you and why? You know what I mean? Like you just can't help but be kind of forced out of the movie for a second to wonder why this character is so periphery. Um, they do a fairly good job of setting up kind of a reason for it, but also in terms of, of the story and her impact on the rest of the characters, it doesn't feel like she gets that moment. She doesn't get that connection and moment. And I wish that she did. I don't know what the um, intentions are for her going forward. And I think she'll, it'll probably still suffer from the same kinds of issues unless they really ratchet up the stakes. And, and the multiverse may do that very effectively, right? Of, of giving her something that we truly feel like she can't battle, um, that she can't just easily vanquish they kind of do that. She, that's probably one of the weaker parts of the story for me is how they fit her back in um, at the end. But again, this is another thing where you talk about kind of a ne negative element in the MCU, but you can always fall back onto the cushion of, but, you know, I do believe they're, they're working hard to, to do that correctly. And we still have so much space to work with um, for her character. So you know, I'm, I'm okay. In spite of feeling kind of a lack of, you know, real impact in her character so far, I feel okay because I, I think it's coming. I hope it's coming. Better come. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like a certain amount of faith that like, um, especially when it's like they're like the people they hire on the production side of things like the writers and the directors that they hire to kind of like steward these things um there 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 gets to be like a yeah just like i'm confident i'm gonna get more out of the character of captain marvel in captain marvel 2 maybe i didn't get as much in captain marvel 1 but it's like these first movies these origin movies they have a lot of work to do, you know? And it's like, sometimes they just have to exist as this like workhorse chapter mm -hmm. setting up this character's place in the larger story. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I mean, like I appreciated that like 
we were introduced to Captain Marvel really early on in our chronological order and that she doesn't show up again until Endgame. And I mean, you know, they, they have this explanation of why being that like she's basically a guardian of the universe. And <laughs> what's funny is um, Nichelle will get this, but um, Trixie Mattel, famed drag mm-hmm. queen, um, actually said something really funny on her show one time where she was like, I love that like Captain Marvel's like biggest problem is that she's just too busy. Like she just doesn't have time, you know? Which and does I, strike, just which does ring very true like for that's women, her biggest, right? Her yeah. biggest weakness is that she's too busy. That there's too much to do. And yeah, like, like if all of y'all can't manage this problem on your own while I'm busy saving all of the rest of the universe, yeah. that's not on me, y'all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I actually kind of like, so when she kind of shows up in Endgame and they're all like, well, where have you been? And she's like, I don't know, saving the rest of the universe. It's yeah. like, <laughs> I, I feel that. I understand that. I can, I can. Yeah. I can I can accept that you know mm-hmm. um and so I thought it was kind of fine to have that space there because when you watch them in release order and you're watching Captain Marvel like immediately before Endgame mm-hmm. um then you really have to you really do wonder well where was she this whole time and like it's so much more immediate her presence is so much more immediate if you're watching in release order that you're like mm-hmm. what the fuck but mm-hmm. chronologically, you're like, yeah, she was like dealing with some shit. Totally. Like, she's a very yeah. I was, I, I was gonna say that, and I think for for me, having watched you know these movies in the chronological order, not release order, right? In the and it it actually, I, I noticed a lot about the timing as well of these movies. Like they were really, I think they did a disservice to the Captain Marvel character by releasing it so quickly, just to try to get it out and you know there could have been some bureaucracy at play there um but you know 2021 i think we're starting to see that like the mcu is figuring out the origin story and and how to do it and where to place it um you know going back to black widow i think that they might have learned a few things from what they did with with captain marvel um and and for me seeing it even honestly even in the order we watched it in there was a little bit of like, oh, right, Captain Marvel. I forgot you were out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> but cool. I'm, I mean, like, I'm glad you're back. Um, but I don't think I had as much of a of a visceral reaction to be like, you should have been here. Right? Like, yeah, I it, mean, it, it, that yeah. wasn't missing for me. Yeah, kind of in the release order, it's like, it's not so much that I think it when she shows up in Endgame, but it's like, I thought it just watching Captain Marvel for the first time, like in a theater and being like, wait, if this woman is like all powerful, why wasn't she in Infinity War? You know, so it almost kind of affected my viewing of Captain Marvel anyway, the fact that it came out after Infinity War. Infinity War. So to watch it way before Infinity War happens, you're able to kind of like take the movie on its own merits and take Captain Marvel on her own merits instead of tying her to Infinity War. Mm -hmm. It was interesting watching all of them again chronologically because I saw every single one of these movies in the theater, I think with the exception of Ant-Man and 
Spider-Man Far From Home. And it was impossible to not like, and I don't know if you all had this same experience, but like thinking of how all these films connect, it's impossible for me to not think about the last 10 years of my life <laughs> and like where I was when I saw each of these movies and what was going on in my life and how each one of these things affected me via my individual experience that I was having at the time, right? Um, and it, like, we could sit here forever and be like film crit Hulk and be like, well, here's what I think is technically wrong with all of these stories. And here's everything, like, you know, whatever, that's fine. And there's a place for that, you know? But I I'll also take, think- Take note, that film crit Hulk. Yeah, listen, <laughs> listen, film crit hey, Hulk. Hey, Sue's coming for you. If you want to run with the big dogs, <laughs> <laughs> you know you want to criticize then you know by criticizing you're opening yourself up to bigger discussions like this so um i just think that this rewatch especially these last six films really showed me how like there really isn't a right way to storytell there isn't like these perfect little boxes that have to be checked in order for your story to be good and successful. You know, I felt that so much of these final movies, especially had so much of like the imprint of the fans in them, like the hail Hydra moment that captain America has an end game. Like that was a hugely controversial experience that went on in the comics, as I'm sure mm -hmm. Justin knows yep. way more about than I do. <laughs> um, but I also remember being in the theater and having that moment where he's whispering Hail Hydra and everybody being like, Whoa! oh my gosh, we just crossed the streams. And it was like the power of movies and the power of comics fusing together in this really incredible way. Um, and there's like 70, 11 moments like that in the MCU. Um, it's it's kind so, of comforting in a way. I'm sorry, Kelly. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, basically, I'm just saying more of what I've already said, but it was like... <laughs> I felt like the connective tissues of the films really are so much about too, our experience of them over the years. And that is like, is there any greater storytelling triumph? I don't think so. Do I hate Iron Man 2? And will I hate Iron Man 2 until the day <laughs> that I die? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes. <laughs> but there's a place for Iron Man too. Do you know? I we wouldn't have Sam say, Rockwell. Yeah, I almost want to say ditto for Iron Man three, but I'm not sure there's a place for that. Is it, anyway, we're just you guys need to just lay off Iron Man three <laughs> just for one like for one episode. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I I can be cool. I don't just, have beef with Iron Man three. <laughs> I do, but that's Iron Man okay. Two, come on. But, <laughs> but this is just—it it serves my—it it serves the point even more that, like, even at its worst, which, in my opinion, that was the MCU at its worst. It still set up so much of what we love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the bottom line is that we we find I think a lot of people find themselves trying to apply this critique that you would give to a, you know, a trilogy of movies, right? Like, did it seamlessly yeah. move from one movie to another? 
And we're forgetting the fact that the MCU, the Marvel studio, Marvel Studios is, is stringing together decades worth of movies. Like there are 24 freaking movies in this. And the fact that we're talking about two or three movies that kind of feel out of place or should have been done at a different time. When you think about it in terms of, well, they, sure, they made some missteps. Did they have this thing perfectly mapped out from day one? No. And, and how could they not make some missteps as they were going? But how, like to Kelly Sue's point, how well do those missteps work? So much better than even most people have achieved in a trilogy or let's say four movies or, you know, whatever it might be, or a especially, film. <laughs> yeah, or a single film, especially given that they didn't have the story to work with. Like you can talk about Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or, you know, some of these other things that have the same kind of like scope of storytelling, but those had written works. They, they had a map laid out for them. Well, no, so does the MCU though. The but MCU, not, the not MCU has story. decades decades of material to, to to pull from but not strung together in an already laid out narrative like a map right like they they put together their own story to some degree they they sure. they they, they, they remix the pieces together yeah exactly it, 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 it i would actually i would dare say that they had an easier time than say adapting harry potter or adapting lord of the rings because they were given the freedom to remix and remake and mm -hmm. reframe all kinds of things from the comics, things that didn't work. They were, you know, leave behind the things they didn't like. And, you know, you know, there are a lot fewer fans, you know, bitching about the fact that Bat Rock the Leaper doesn't jump real high, you know, than there are people bitching about Tom Bombadil not being in Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think, I think the, the MCU has had a remarkable level of freedom, all things considered. Mm. Um, with great freedom, though, Justin, comes great possibility for stepping off a cliff as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, man, sure, I totally thought sure, you were going to go. The, the thing about the MCU. I almost did. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing about Sorry, the MCU Justin, is, yeah, I, I did really, you know, Stan Lee was, you know, was a quivering in his grave there for a second. Um, <laughs> um, I, is that they're committed to getting the essence of these characters and these concepts, mm. right? Um, mm. When you have, I mean, Captain America was created in 1941, you know? When you've got 80 years of material to mine, mm. you know, you have to look at the larger, you have to take the large view. Who is this character, you know, when, when you boil it down to its essence? And that's what we're going to put on screen. You know, we're not going to put on, you know, 80s, you know, Jam de Matisse and Mike Zeck, Captain America, or Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting's Captain America. We're gonna we're gonna get to the essence of this character. Mm. Um and they're super committed to that, you know, like they know the themes, not just of their larger setting, but of each of these individual characters and how to make them shine. I mean, we talked about this when we were live tweeting far from home a little bit you know um someone i think it might have been chris actually was making the point that they're you know they're not focusing enough on how smart peter is and uh, you know phil and i kind of came back with well smart is not really spider-man's defining quality you know yes he's smart and they show it multiple times during the course of the films but his <laughs> defining qualities are that 
he's an orphan, like a really, really troubled orphan. You know, he's an orphan multiple times over and he's super insecure and neurotic. And those things are the root of why he goes on both of these big adventures, both Homecoming and Far at Home, spring from these thematic elements, these, you know, that are rooted in his character. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me back around to who I didn't talk about a little bit, which is Captain Marvel, because I don't know what the essence of Captain Marvel is. And I don't know that anyone else does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why she feels a little out of place so to speak it's not just because she's super powerful superman's super powerful do you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and you can tell compelling superman stories i think what's missing from from captain marvel it's it's a dual it's a combination of things it's the fact that i don't know what the essence of her character i don't know what her stories are about fundamentally um and it doesn't appear that the mcu does either you know although i just i could just be missing it um but more than that i think they overcorrected that they're like oh god we don't have any female heroes we're gonna make take our most powerful female character and make her a headliner but we haven't gotten to the crux of what makes her great Mm. you know so it's kind of like they put her in the big they put her in the big chair before she was ready you know when they easily could have done that with black widow this actually like um what you're saying about like boiling a character down to his essence i was actually thinking about um it it reminds me of i did everybody watch this week's what if episode i, I have not week. watched I any of it i have not watched um, not the, not the Star okay Wars one. so but you, you can uh, i mean for my sake you, i'm just gonna you go don't have to worry about spoilers yeah yeah it's fine it's not it's not like a key spoiler and these are just kind of like these fun little things but this um i watched the what if episode last night um and it was really beautiful how they um used the character that we know of Star Lord to help really define what T'Challa's essence is, which mm-hmm. is to inspire people to be their best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And um it's funny because like I mean, I know we talked about Black Panther on the last episode or on the last All of Us episode, but it's like that defining characteristic I felt like wasn't really in the Black Panther movie. But then they got it in this like, you know, 25 minute, half hour piece of what if Mm -hmm. they totally got to like what it is about him that makes him a hero that that we can all really love about him. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't take much. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of like it's it's like I don't think it's it's not this insurmountable thing to find what it is about Captain Marvel for us Mm -hmm. to all really love no I agree um it's a real small because it's like when you look at what if it's like it's a small step that they took um but it had such a huge impact I mean at least on me um that like I like I said I like I said earlier I I have faith that they are going to succeed in doing this with Captain Marvel. I would even say Lisa that that episode of What If added to Black Panther's character in a way yeah. that's going to make me redefine like look at what he's doing in the Black Panther movie in a different yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I had that same feeling. Yeah. 
And that's, that's the magic of, of all of this, right? Is that it's so infinite that mm-hmm. you can put timelines anywhere in this mm-hmm. thing and everybody's just going to be like, yeah, okay, I'm here. I'll watch that. I don't care. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter that they died in this movie. They're, they're here in this one. So cool. Or, or this TV show. I'm, I'm here for it. Totally. Give me more of that totally. thing. <laughs> yeah. Before we, we've been going for about an hour, so we're going to go to break really quick. I, Justin, I think, tapped into something that I think these last six episodes do, and that they really strip the characters down, many of the characters down to their essence. Um, and you see that with Captain America stepping up at the very end, solo, going to fight the entire army of Thanos. You see that with Black Widows. Uh, I see Justin having a little thoughtgasm over there <laughs> with me mentioning that. <laughs> his eyes rolled into the back of his head. Uh, 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 you know, Black Widow is in, in her movie stripped down to her essence of who she is. Spider-Man is stripped down to the essence of who he is. Um, Tony Stark is, uh, you know, all of these great characters, even, even Thor is stripped down to like, what does it mean after all this loss to still be a hero? And it's, um, you see that throughout all of these six passages done so remarkably, so remarkably well, um, you know, and it's not, it's no longer just about the charm that's carrying us through these films. It's about the essence of each and every character uh, and, mm. and what they what they mean to us. Um, and that's what I, all the way down to like, what does it mean to sacrifice yourself? Mm. Black Widow sacrificing herself is different from Thanos sacrificing somebody else. Like their ideas of sacrifice at this point are so, or Stark sacrificing himself. Like the, the idea and the differences between what a villain is and what a hero is, so clearly defined by the choices they make after being stripped down like this. Um, it, it's a lot of just amazing storytelling. Um, I'm gonna take us to break really quick. We can come back and talk more about that, but we have other things to talk about too. Uh, so here are a few quick messages. Uh, welcome back, everybody, uh, after that uh, brief break. Um, I want to talk about kind of uh, not only what's come before, but also what's going to come next for a moment, um, because we've all had, you know, our, our grievances about the MCU, especially when dealing with lack of diversity, uh, treatment of women, um, which going forward feels like it's going to be course corrected, especially with a, a perm plumber gone, or I think that's how you say his name. Maybe it's not. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Is that was there, epic. Perm is there perm plumber? Um, what is it? Pearl mutter. Per, per, Pearl mutter. Per, per clutter. Pearl mutter. Per clutter. We're we're already spending way too much time yes, on this name. We are uh, going forward. I, I'm just curious. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit, so maybe there's not much more to say. Uh, is there anything that that uh, all of you would like to see going forward into the next phase? Um, you know, of storytelling, how they approach stories, maybe differently or, or things subverted or strengthened or, uh, you know, not necessarily even corrected, but just uh, something you'd like to see done. I mean, like, I'm always definitely here for more LGBTQIA mm-hmm. representation, Indeed. you know, like that, that is a, that's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty big one. 
Yeah. I mean, I could, I can bounce off of that to a lot of shipping that I've been doing. So, but I don't know if any of those things are valid. I mean, part Sorry. of the appeal of shipping is that it's like, I mean, part of like the whole definition of it is that these two characters are never going to end up together, but you really want them to. Um, and, um, uh, Oh, like, man, but I like, ship so like, much. Like, why not? Why can't but we also, it yeah, why not? Why Especially now it? that we are firmly in the multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> there would be well, a I lot mean, and of we're confusion. in infinite multiverses now. Yes. While we're in infinite multiverses now, you don't have to wait for your ship to come in. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. <laughs> Kelly Sue's arrived in the podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> um, you did it, Kelly Sue. And and, I, and well, might I might I add. Yeah, that was <laughs> well. that was yeah, stellar in, work. Coming in with the mic drop. The um, difference, the difference <laughs> in Kelly Sue doing a pun is she knows she's doing it when she does it. Yeah. We don't we don't rise to that level. <laughs> because she is worthy of she is worthy of Mjolnir and we are not. You know. <laughs> um anyway. I, I, actually, I want to springboard off of what Michelle said because. The thing that stood out to me since Endgame is I felt looking back on Loki and their, you know, their sort of, you know, lame ass attempt at representation by having him casually mention, oh, I've been bisexual before, you know, like that it's very was very trendy right now. That's it was exactly so disappointing. how he said it too. Yeah. And you know, it Justin's been, readings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been, imagine how much more powerful all of this would have been if the character of Sophie had been a male version of Loki, mm -hmm. you know, it would have worked so much better. It would have been, it would have been a, a little bit of representation. B, it would have felt really subversive. I think it would have been a bold, bold choice. Um, and not to take anything away from Sophie, who was a, you know, in many ways, the best part of Loki, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I, I, I want to see them make some bold, subversive, uh, choices going forward yeah I you know. when um I mean it wasn't like when when Loki dropped that he was by I was like well yeah and I mean we've been talking I mean in the comics verse and also in actual Norse mythology, mythology yeah he is I mean Loki is gender fluid he's pansexual as they come he yeah. is as pansexual as they come like so I mean we're going all the way back to the mythology for mm -hmm. like like all the TV show Loki did was just confirm that for people who might not know. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is um, we really needed to have Loki in an expanse drummer moment where he, it, not just a male version of himself, but has a, a romantic relationship with, you know, three or four versions of himself. <laughs> that would have really taken it there. I have no problem with that. Yeah. You all know mm -hmm. I have no problem with that. So I so it's like, yeah, I I would I would also appreciate seeing more of a delivery on these kinds of promises, you know? I wanna see more, 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 forever more amazing female villains. Yes. Oh man. Unreal. Yes. Ravana Renslayer, Sophie, Agatha Harkness. I mean, I was just like, <laughs> I was so in love with what they 
you know, I'm just in love with that. I'm in love with amazing female villains. Mm -hmm. And And I mean, like to talk about, to talk about Ragnarok again, I know there were some complaints about not enough characterization for Hela. Yes. And I, and I agree. Cause again, like, I, again, not going to comics material, cause I don't know the character from comics, but going to mythology source material, mm-hmm. it's, Ooh, that's a, it's a fascinating character. Um, mm-hmm. And you could really, there's a lot of material there yeah. um, for making her like more dynamic. That being said, mm-hmm. um, I thought Kate Blanchett as Hella was fucking awesome. Inspired. I loved her. Listen, you put you put Kate Blanchett in anything and I'm like, yep. Yep. I'll watch it. Yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I mean, she was incredible. Her performance yeah. was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was our first real that was our first female villain that we got at all in the MCU. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, release order wise. The yeah. only other one was like, maybe you could possibly count um, the intelligence showing up as Annette Benning in Captain Marvel, but I don't really count that because it's, that's a, that's a facade. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Cause that? it's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Hella was really the first one and I was, yeah. I, I, I remain here for it. Well, so and I would, I would say even with Hella, because she's not as drawn out as she should be, I, I still don't feel like we have gotten a villain that their womanness feels mm-hmm. uh, purposeful and meaningful in their, yeah. in their existence. Like yeah. Hella is Hella, but she's a woman, but what does that mean exactly? I mean, mm. what does that, her womanness bring forward? Other than, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, okay, a woman can be a completely single-minded, narcissistic, you know, in want to rule everything, which that's fine. That's good. But yeah, a little more depth to that Mm -hmm. would be great. I would like to see, and I probably, I don't know if I'll get to see this, but I, one of the things that I love about the MCU so much is how successful they are in, in developing and giving me side characters that I just absolutely want to see more of over and over and over again. And you can't, I don't think you can name a movie in the MCU that doesn't at least give me one character, even Iron Man three, I had potato gun boy. I mean, he might be the only reason why I go back to watch that movie, (laughs) but I have him. So that's fine. But I would, I would really like to see like, you know, in the next black Panther movie, I would love to see Shuri be more and just be more sure like, like let's just have more of her and, and all of the, you know, the side characters, I just, uh, well, and I will go off all day about like, if they don't give me more Michelle Pfeiffer in Ant-Man in the wall, I mean, just, I need more Michelle Pfeiffer. I I want some more Sam Rockwell while we're at it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You can bring him back. I don't mind. Come on, man. We can all say that. So But it's nice seeing it's nice seeing the TV series like giving, you know, Agent, uh, you know, in WandaVision giving a Darcy and what's his name? Oh, Agent, the FBI agent guy. Please say his name for me because I'm Park. Is it Agent Park? Randall Park? You're talking about um, Jimmy Woo. Oh, it's Jimmy Woo. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Just giving those characters in this, this series more to do. It's just such a lovely acknowledgement of 
how well drawn those characters are to begin with. Like they're, they have such specific motivations and thoughts and, and individual lives. They feel very, uh, they just feel very autonomous and, and well drawn out. Um, just give them more to do. I love it. I would like to see, because the MCU has thus far has basically been built around the Avengers and the Avengers are as lily white as they can be. <laughs> yep. Okay. And, you know, with the acquisition of Fox, we have two more big Marvel franchises that come in, the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, both of which, if you go by the comics, are as lily white as they can be. All right. Particularly the X-Men, which is supposed to be, at its essence, about marginalized people. I really don't want to see a bunch of white people be pretend with superpowers pretending to be marginalized people. That's just not my idea of a good time. Um, so I would very much like to see some goddamn brown skin in in both of those franchises. You know, uh, by establishing Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror, they're basically suggesting that Reed Richards could be a black man, and I'm down for that. I'm here for that shit. Um, the X Men. Absolutely. Look, I, I really want the original five X-Men to be the first X-Men. I really want Angel, Iceman, B, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. But I don't want them to be five waspy teenagers either. You know, I would like to see I would like to see the X-Men truly represent all kinds of peoples. I want some gay X-Men. I want some black X-Men. I want we need a there needs to be some Latin dude with powers in the MCU. We haven't gotten that yet. Um, and I, I would like to see all of these characters that were created in the sixties and thus Lily, why as they can be, be given an actual 21st century sensibility and an understanding of the fact that, you know, everyone needs to see themselves on screen. And I, I'm not, I'm not taking shots at Marvel here. I'm not, you know, Black Panther is one of the top grossing films of all time. Uh, Shang-Chi sounds like it is getting tremendous buzz um, and more power to them because Shang-Chi and the Eternals, you know, you're not really tapping into well-known characters there. Those are deep cuts, um, but they're doing them and, and I'm, I'm proud to see that. But give me, give me David Yellowo as Professor X, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's that's what I want. You know, I want mm. some, uh, I want some, I want some diversity in the the characters yet to come. And I mean, yeah. not to not to open a can of worms, but I think like you know, Into the Spider Verse kind of showed us like what you could really do. Like these are all made up characters, y'all. Like they they are made up. <laughs> Why do they have to, you know, follow a certain, you know, prescription of who they are? Like, this is, this is fiction. Let's get a bit more creative and, and apply, you know, some, some color and, and culture to it, you know? If Into the Spider-Verse is a can of worms, then call me a fish because you've just baited me. All right. Call I, me I, a I'm fish. Not, all right. Because I will chow down. Num, 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 num. Spider-Verse, num, num, num. Call me a fish. Oh my god. Um, well, yeah, and I like we were talking about earlier with what if too. It's like um, there's there's no 
there's no reason these stories aren't just as compelling, if not more, mm -hmm. by having different genders, different races, different everything. Mm -hmm. Like T'Challa being Star-Lord made Star-Lord like Star-Lord better. <laughs> it was a uh, better you know version be of Star-Lord. You know who'd make a great gay, who should be gay? The Human Torch. And I'm not saying that because of the flaming thing. I'm saying that because <laughs> I'm saying that because he's he's brash and he's flamboyant and he's out there. And why not make that a gay man? You know what I mean? Like shit. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're known for our puns, so I had to I had to yeah, yeah. jump on that one. <laughs> I, I, I had to smother that one before it. You know? Wow, another one. That one, yeah, that one went that went pretty far. That was that was that was pretty deep, Justin. I like that. It was, I, I did watch the first one a little earlier and it was very emotionally impactful seeing Carter take up the shield. I was like, holy shit, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it was pretty great. Um, but, and speaking of uh, characters, we're gonna, we're gonna take this on to the next question because I, we all have our favorites and I think we all have our favorites for different reasons. Mine is Spider-Man, which I, if you were at all reading the Twitter, like you know that, cause I feel like I'm, Peter Parker, especially right now, today, I feel completely weirdly neurotic uh, today and self-conscious, which is so weird. Um, but I mean, that's me. Like I've been that since I was 14, 13, 12, watching 321 Contact and Spider-Man and his amazing friends with that uh, Wolverine having a, an Australian accent, which was always, <laughs> as an adult now, I'm like, what the fuck was that choice? Um, <laughs> but uh, he's always been like something that's, personally affect he's a, he's a character that's always basically personally affected me and the mcu has done such a great job you know the original mcguire films did a good job as well um but there was something about these this iteration that strikes so close to how i felt when i was 10 years old like relating myself to spider-man and i'm uh so much so that uh i remember they have those little call-in things in the comic books call, you know, for a $1 and uh, answer these questions and get prizes. I, I spent a, like $2,000 um, calling a number and uh, try, trying to win all the prizes. And my parents <laughs> found out on the phone, phone bill uh, and I got in trouble and they, they were able to call and get all those charges reversed because you were only supposed to call twice. Um, and I called a bunch of times because I loved oh and I and I am five foot ten I'm proud to say it's the same height as Spider-Man um there's so many oh great things about this um but this uh, is the nerdiest <laughs> shit I've ever heard uh, this is all to say that like this is this was, he was my hero growing up Peter Parker Spider-Man like he was the one um and he these films remind me of that and it's so heartening to be reminded of that especially with all the shit we've been through the last you know two years to have mm -hmm. that hero strike us and I'm so I'm curious uh, uh, genuinely curious, uh, and I know a little bit about some, but I'm also wondering why your favorite characters are <laughs> your favorite characters in the MCU and how that has struck you kind of revisiting this this time around. Well, Anybody if, go? If everybody doesn't mind if I go first, because I may have to sign off here in a little bit, but mm -hmm. everybody knows that Thor was very unexpectedly like. I, he was the character going into the MCU because I've come to these characters as an adult. I didn't know anything about them um, until very shortly before the movie started. Um, and out of all of the characters that I kind of briefly learned about before starting this journey, 
Thor was the least appealing to me. Like I just had no connection to anything that I saw or experienced prior. Um, and so I was, I was shocked to find myself, even the first Thor movie with as many Dutch angles as it has, um, as Philip has pointed <laughs> out to us that I just, I, what Chris Hemsworth and the writers did with that character in giving him such a wonderful, humorous, but serious and interesting uh, family connection and an emotional arc. And by the time we get to end game, you know, as, as laugh inducing as, you know, overweight Thor is in end game, I love that they stuck to what they were trying to say <laughs> with that choice for the character that he, you know, when we get to the end and he's in the final battle scene and he gets battle beard and he does the, you know, he does the whole, like, I can change my clothes and my hair with the lightning thing, but he doesn't change his body. Like, why, why not? Like it, it's, he's still, it is the symbol of, of he's still working through shit and that's fine. And he's still just as great, you know, it, with a dad, you know, a frumpy dad body as he is when he's, you know, Mr. Abs take off his shirt guy. I, I love all of that. Um, and I just am still so shocked at how much I love that character. I just, everything about that story is amazing to me. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll jump off of Claire because I, I thought going into this, my favorite Avenger was Captain America. Um, just because I, I always kind of liked his, I liked his kind of otherness in that he exists as this, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to stand for what's just in the face of an unjust world. So, um, I always really liked that about Captain America. Um, that feeling of like, I don't, I'm not the one who should move. You should move. Um, and, um, but when we watched this last phase of movies in the chronological viewing, um, I was surprised to find that Thor became my favorite Avenger. Um, and I think it, I mean, first of all, I, if it's not clear already, I'm a mythology nerd. I like, I'm not a comic book nerd, but I am a mythology nerd. <laughs> nice. So I've always kind of had already a, a lean towards the Thor movies, just because I already had a love of Norse mythology. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I, the characterization of Thor, as far as Marvel is concerned, um, it took a while to get there because it's like, yeah, he comes off a little bit bro-y <laughs> in the first couple movies. Um, but then it's like when he's really started to face, like starting to have to face like the, like the real shit, like we were talking about in the break, um, the loss of, ra the, in Ragnarok, the loss of Asgard um, and like, 
having to work through the loss of his both of his parents at this point and then kicking off infinity war with the loss of his best friend and his brother um that it's just this constant this constant messaging that you can't save everyone and you can't fix everything and um like again we already said this in the break i don't know how it's going to get cut into the episode but that that feeling of failure and feeling unworthy is something that i struggle with on a real it's very present in my life those feelings and um so i re- so to like really see those reflected in this like bombastic character um it hit me a lot harder on this time on this Mm. on this viewing and I I just like I said I was surprised at how much on this viewing I I found myself really falling into Thor and being like wow I get him Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and seeing myself in him was like really surprising um and so falling into Thor That would be amazing. (laughs) Mm, Delicious. (laughs) And so, yeah, he's my favorite Avenger. I still have to, I think I still have to give my favorite character to Loki. So, (laughs) well, and not, and not, and it, I don't, I also don't want it to come off like I'm only saying that because I find Loki and the person who plays him to be attractive. <laughs> I really do love like the actual character sure. of Loki, like For that sure. feeling of like, well, no one understands me, so I'm just gonna push everyone away. Um, do I know anything about that? Um, no way. Maybe. <laughs> well, I hope you're less stabby than Loki, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm far less stabby than Loki, I promise. <laughs> the one thing that I'll, I'll comment on about about Thor that, that you brought up, you know, and again we mentioned, it's just that like, like he's he's a god, but he he really shows us that like success or failure, like it doesn't beget worthiness. Like it's mm-hmm. really just like existing is being worthy. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything, and so I think that that's that's a really powerful thing that like a god shows us. Yeah. In in this series. Is, totally. is, is he your favorite, Michelle, as well? Or do you, do you no. lean in another direction? Who's no, your favorite? No, like, I love Thor. Love <laughs> yeah, Thor. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Doctor Strange is my, is my favorite. Like, he, he really is. I think the, uh, the whole intensity and, like, the depth of who he is um, really, like, it's so complex. His, his character is so complex. And that he he they really show that he has to fight for all of the things that he has and like he didn't just like you know get bitten by a spider or was born a god or something you know it's like he like even even him being a doctor like he he says in the movie he studied and he worked hard and he did that right and it's all about the effort that you put in and and understanding you know and and the metaphor of unlocking the keys to the universe on so many different levels that, you know, just just putting the work in can can help you do and and just understanding that uh, it's it's not 
something that's going to just be given in in a way and just the like the the whole um his intelligence and the way he approaches problems is is really relatable but i think it having a favorite is very challenging be like you know again because of lack of diversity right like i don't sure. totally see myself in in a lot of these characters but mm -hmm. there are things that i can relate to with all of them so i don't know if i have a favorite like one that's especially like oh i really just gravitate towards you <clears throat> i'm looking around my room right now and i'm like i have a pop figure of yondu but not an <laughs> avenger <laughs> He's in the MCU. MCU. He is in yeah, the MCU. Yeah, could be oh, yeah. anyone. He could be favorite MCU character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, I love Yondu. Love, love, love. But I think that I I do, as crazy as it is, I do gravitate towards Tony Stark because I feel like he's a perfect personification of like my shadow. Like all of the ways that I probably would be if I had a ton of money and if I didn't care about anything else, you know? <laughs> Um, and I think that's why I've always kind of loved, I mean, for a long time, Iron Man, the first Iron Man was like in the top 10 has been, in, was in the top 10 of my rankings for a long time. And that movie is problematic for so many reasons, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I think that, and that's kind of like, you know, if we're talking about these characters as archetypes, that is, that is part of what why we're drawn to certain characters is we see the best in us, but oftentimes we can also see the archetypes that are the things that are also true about us that maybe we don't like as much mm -hmm. um, or that we try to repress. And the experience of all of these characters kind of gives us permission to sort of acknowledge and look at and love those things about ourselves too. So um, yeah, Tony Stark. I love that. <laughs> Um, I feel like anyone listening to this has probably already heard me talk about how much I love Captain America over and over and over again. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet and just simply say that, you know, the thing about Captain America is he doesn't doubt what the right thing to do is, you know, he knows what the right thing to do is and that's what he does. Um, and that's how I feel. I feel like I know what the right thing to do is, you know, um, like Captain America, I'm sometimes wrong and have to be corrected, but I can use like Captain America. I hope I can take that correction and do better the next time. But my intent is always to do right. And I'm usually confident in what is right. Um, and I don't need my uncle to be shot or to have my birthright taken from me or to be kidnapped and stuck in a cave in Afghanistan to know what is right. You know, like, I think the thing I love about Captain America is that he was Captain America before he ever got the super soldier serum. And that's, you know, that willingness to throw yourself on the grenade, you know, is, Nobody wants to throw themselves on the grenade. I don't want to throw myself on any grenades, but when I know that's the right thing to do, you know, okay, you know, because what's so important to me, the, maybe the single most important thing to me in my life is the ability to look in the mirror 
and be proud of the person I see there, you know, and because that's the one thing I can control more than anything else. And so, yeah, Captain America. Yep. Um, uh, what you said about like the the sacrifice and all of that, um, and not you know nobody wants to throw themselves on the grenade. Um, I just kind of wanted to go. I just wanted to revisit Tony's final sacrifice mm. in Endgame, um, because I mean you'll remember from our first recording, um, Kayla is not a fan. <laughs> the character of Tony Stark but when we all watched Endgame together there was not a dry eye in the house including Kayla like we all we all got there you know like there is like that moment of I mean we see it all the time in all of these hero stories that sacrifice moment and um that kind of being the indicator that it's like, when you're ready to sacrifice yourself, you are officially a hero. Um, and I mean, it took Tony Stark 23 movies, but he did get there. <laughs> well, and I think the, the beauty of it is that I don't think min, most of us would say that he resolved all of his issues, right? Like, I don't, I don't feel like Tony Stark uh, really acknowledged all of the things that he needed to acknowledge about how he treated people you know like he didn't become a no, perfect like, person in that moment he, he didn't she, need to yeah yeah exactly and, and I think that's part of the brilliance of the writing for the character is that even I because I'm one of those people too who just I have deep issues with the character of Tony Stark but I still understand and appreciate him as a character and I appreciate that the writers didn't try to make this pat redemption ending for him that that is supposed to resolve all of his flaws. They don't, but he did the right, like Justin is saying, he when when it came time to do the right thing, he did the right thing in that moment. And that is the complexity of humanity. We yeah. you we shouldn't be, you know. Uh, putting on a pedestal people who, who do, do things like Tony Stark does in the end, right? Like, because none of us are ever going to be without flaw along the way. And, and doing the right thing at the end does not mean that you have addressed all of the issues in your life or, or even completely uh, made uh, atonement or have a resolution with the people you've hurt along the way. And that's not who, that's not the character of Tony Stark. And so at the end of it, in spite of all of my issues and the, how much I, you know, rant when we're live tweeting in the middle of Spider-Man far from, or not far from home, uh, homecoming, I, I still, I, I still count Tony Stark as a character that I love because I, I, he's real. He's a real person. Um, yeah. And it's also pretty cool that in Far From Home, his chickens come home to roost when, in terms of all those flaws. You know, I mean, all of that happens in Far From Home because he kind of treated some of his employees like shit. And he didn't, you know, he doesn't value people correctly. Like all of that, even the MCU has not suddenly deified him. Right. You know, 
right yeah it, it makes manifest causing... you know the fact that there's more to him than the fact that he sacrificed himself and that's he's still causing yeah. problems by not adequately telling people what the fuck he wants them you know what he intends Even he's still being mr cool cryptic dude for no reason i'm sorry i'm I need to go now. Because <laughs> yeah, I started that, my rant again. On that note, on that oh note, we were, we were going to end on a nice, uplifting note about heroes and everything. And Claire, Claire it all comes back to Tony Stark, uh, Claire, why don't you give us your outro real quick? Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am at Unexpected Hobby. You can find my geeky cross-stitch patterns um, for a very short period of time uh, going forward on Etsy in the Unexpected Hobby store, but I will be brave and announce that I am getting ready to launch my own website on that and get my little ass off Etsy as much as you know I might like it. So I'm getting ready to do that. And you can find my book, A Geek's Guide to Cross-Stitch, Journeys in Space on the Fanbase Press website. Nice. Uh, thanks, Claire. Uh, Lisa, where can we find you online? You can find me um, at Lcat Weber on every last one of the social medias. Um, and you can find Hex 11, the comic book that Kelly Sue and I co-create at hexcomics.com. Nice. Kelly Sue. As on mute. <laughs> You can find me not muted on Instagram at Kelly Sue says, Twitter at Kelly Sue says, at Kelly Sue says, also on TikTok where I have one video because I don't get it. <laughs> Justin Peniston. Um, I post a new page in my hardboiled fantasy webcomic Hunter Black every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at hunterblackcomics.com. You can keep up with all things Justin the Writerly. Uh, at justinpeniston.com or follow me on Twitter at hunterblackcomx and, and soon to be a uh, uh, satirical Twitter page uh, Justin the Fish at Justin the Fish um, <laughs> put that up as soon as we're done here um, I'm, I'm Philip uh, at, I'm at Philip Creates everywhere uh, you can find me uh, all over the place Nichelle do you want to be found on social media uh sure awesome. uh, people can can absolutely do that i i am full disclosure i am not that cool and awesome on social media <laughs> i rarely post i i'm not i don't really get it i should probably generationally <laughs> but i just you know it, it's not really my thing but i am at n dudley um or at nichelle dudley i think i still have a twitter somewhere the account exists i tweet sometimes um <laughs> so Awesome. I, and thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. It's been Absolutely. nice having you and having yeah, your perspective thanks. here today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is fun. Awesome. Awesome. And this most likely won't be our last MCU and chill. It sounds like we're going to probably do some more in the future. Um, this is not our last, last of anything. In fact, um, if you like this podcast, first of all, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple podcasts or anywhere you may be listening. Um, and leave a nice review. Give us five stars. Uh, pass us along. Um, but, uh, you know, take a listen to our podcast focusing on Brian Fuller's TV series, Hannibal, uh, which we're releasing every Tuesday and is called Murder Husbands. And stay tuned uh, for our new series called That Episode Was, which you may actually have heard the trailer during our break, if I, if I get it done and edited it in time for this, um, in which we'll first be breaking down the new series of uh, Why the Last Man. 
standing. No, not, <laughs> why the, not, <laughs> not why the last man standing. Why, just, the, last why man. the last man? Yes, just why the last man. Um, <laughs> premiering on FX on Hulu September 13th, and the first episode will be released uh, a few days after that. Uh, follow us on social media sites at PopsiclePod. That is P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D on all social media sites, including TikTok, and uh, where I'm forcing everybody to take part. Sorry, everyone. And visit our website, popsiclepod.com. We'll have a newsletter going out. I think I've covered every exhausting bit of who we are. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, MCU and Chill will return. 